Hello and welcome to the First Stand Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown, and we are back with episode 7 today. And in today's episode, we're going to be reviewing all of those super wildcard weekend matchups. But before we get into that, I want to update you guys on some current NFL news. First and foremost, Mike Mayock, the uh, general manager of the Raiders, he has been relieved of his duties. He's out as GM of the Raiders. Can't say I'm too surprised by this one, just given, really, we talked about his questionable decisions to really kind of purge their O-line in the offseason, but also his draft history was quite questionable. If you think about the first-round picks the Raiders have had under Mayock, none of them have been, you know, kind of home runs. You know, they took Alex Leatherwood, the lineman out of Bama, this past year. Everybody said they could have had him in in the second round. Nobody really understood that pick. I'm going to give him a little bit of the pass on Henry Ruggs. Nobody saw that coming, and Ruggs on the field was playing well, so I'm not going to hold Ruggs against him too much, but then with their second, second round, you know, their second first round pick that year, they take Damon Arnett, the corner out of Ohio State. He's not even on the roster anymore, again, off the field issues, but also the fact that people felt they could have had Arnett in the third round of that year's draft, so another questionable decision. And then you look, his first draft, they take Cleland Farrell at four, the edge rusher out of Clemson. Again, everyone felt like that was a massive reach. Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Bama, he's been probably their best first-round pick, and that's not saying a whole lot when your best first-round pick is a middle-of-the-road running back and then also Jonathan Abram, the safety. I, I None of his first-round picks excite me. You couple that with the lackluster success and the fact that they could potentially be looking for a new head coach. Not surprising to see Mayock out of there. And the Raiders already looking at new GM candidates. They have put in a request to interview Patriots Director of Player Personnel, Dave Ziegler. Now, this is Ziegler's first year in the role of director of player personnel for the Patriots. He's been with New England for the past nine seasons, primarily in their scouting department. Before that, spent three years in the Denver Broncos scouting department. He comes from that long line that Belichick has of you know connections with small Division three schools. He's from John Carroll University, small college in Ohio. Of course, Josh McDaniels, the Patriots offensive coordinator, also from John Carroll University. So Ziggler is one of the early candidates for that Raiders GM job, which makes sense because the Raiders did put in a request to interview Gerard Mayo, of course, the defensive coach on the Patriots staff, former NFL linebacker. He's been linked to a number of coaching positions, but Gerard Mayo, they did put in a request the Raiders did to interview him for their head coaching position. Now, you guys know I've stated it quite Often, I think the Raiders need to give the job to Rich Bisaccia. It's looking less and less likely, though. If they're going to be getting a new GM, chances are that GM's going to want to bring in his coach. Could be Bisaccia's out. If so, Gerard Mayo, you know, young guy, former player, I think he would fit well. I just, in my opinion, I think he got to give that job to Bisaccia first. Moving on from that, though, I wanted to address overall. We'll talk about it in greater detail looking at some of the reviews of the games. But the NFL's got an officiating problem. We've got to talk about it. It can't go unnoticed anymore. We had a number of roughing the passer, you know, calls that were just complete jokes this past weekend. You know, I think specifically to the one on the Bengals in the final drive when the Raiders were driving, that one was hideous. You know, I will say there were a couple. The Derek Barnett one early on against Tom Brady in the Bucks Eagles game. 
That one was a bit iffy for me. I do think the issue, though, is you know if you go low on a quarterback, especially low on a guy like Tom Brady, they're going to call it. That one was a little more iffy for me. But if you've seen the news on NFL officiating this past weekend, you saw in the Bengals-Raiders game, we had Jerome Boger and his staff. We had the controversial, was it a touchdown, not a touchdown, when Joe Burrow scrambled out to his right, threw the football, and there was an inadvertent whistle before Tyler Boyd caught the ball. Now, there was you know a mass huddle. A lot of people thought, why well, are they debating, was Burrow out of bounds before he threw the football? But no, what they were debating was, did the whistle happen before the ball was caught? Now, according to you know league officials, they claim that New York spoke with the refs on the field, and they all agreed that the whistle came after the ball was caught. If you can get your hands on a video of that play, listen to it. Because, I mean, it's clear as day that the whistle came well before Tyler Boyd caught the football. And according to NFL rules, that should have been a replay of down. Touchdown shouldn't have mattered. You know, it shouldn't have counted. That should have been a replay. It wasn't. They went ahead and upheld the touchdown. And because of that controversy, the NFL has now come out and said, well, Jerome Boger and that crew just won't work any more games the rest of the playoffs. Now, here's my issue with that. The NFL, in their official statement after the Raiders-Bengals game, said, hey, look, we determined that the whistle came after the catch. So if you determine that, then what you're saying is Jerome Boger and his crew made the right decision by upholding the touchdown. So then why are you saying that that crew's not going to work any more games? If you're saying that crew's not going to work any more games, then you need to own the fact that they made a mistake. Don't treat your fans like idiots. Everybody who watched that game, anybody who has seen the clip, can clearly see and hear the whistle came before Boyd caught the football. If the NFL wants some credibility with their fans, if Roger Goodell wants some credibility with NFL fans, they should have came out and said it was a mistake by Boger and his crew. They're not going to be working any more games. The you know league is going to look into it and hand out appropriate discipline to the officials as needed. Not give us this, you know... Whistle came after the ball was caught, but then, hey, by the way, we won't let that crew work any more games. It's a double standard. NFL fans aren't stupid, but, you know, what have we come to expect, really, with the league officials at this point? But, like I said, Super Wildcard Weekend has come and gone. That means that the divisional round matchups are set. Briefly tell you those. We're not going to get into them. Of course, we'll, you know, preview those later on in the week, but we will have the Bengals going to the Titans and the Bills going to the Chiefs. That's who's left in the AFC. On the NFC side of things, we got the 49ers at the Packers, and the Rams will be traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. So let's talk about how we got there. First, let's look at that Bengals-Raiders game from Saturday night. The Bengals did come out with a 26-19 win. Um, of course, obviously, you hear that there was a controversial touchdown, and the Bengals only win by a touchdown. So a lot of people are going to ask, well, did the Raiders get screwed? And I'm here to tell you the Raiders did not get screwed. The Raiders did everything in their power to lose this football game. They're off- I mean, like we've talked about, their offensive line is absolutely terrible. It could not keep Derek. I mean, Derek Carr had no chance to do anything in this game. The Raiders' offensive line was getting worked early on. You know, Sam Hubbard had his way with this O-line. Trey Hendrickson looked good. Really, it was the, the Raiders line. It's it's beyond bad. Bengals defense did whatever it wanted. And really, in my opinion, I think this was a coming out party for Joe Burrow on the grand stage. You know, 
If you are from the Northeast Ohio area, if you're from the Ohio area or from the Midwest in general and you get Bengals games, you've seen Joe Burrow's special all year. But now Joe Burrow gets to be on a national spotlight. And in my opinion, Joe Burrow just came out as a top five quarterback. And I got a lot of flack. I put that out there and some people said, oh, it's too early to call Burrow a top five quarterback. And I'm going to I'm going to push back on that. Name five other quarterbacks you'd rather have on your team right now than Joe Burrow. I mean, I will tell you there's three I can definitively say, maybe four, but Burrow would slide comfortably in at five for me at the absolute worst. I would take Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Tom Brady definitively over Joe Burrow today. The fourth maybe would be Josh Allen. I think I would probably take Josh Allen over Joe Burrow, although I could debate that. But then to me, Burrow is comfortably five. And then I've got some debate on six and seven, but to me, Burrow is a comfortable five at this point. I'm definitely taking Burrow over Dak. I'm definitely taking Burrow over Lamar Jackson. I'm definitely taking Burrow over Russell Wilson. To me, Burrow has played like a top five quarterback. Really, for me, the big question for the Bengals is how healthy are they going to be? They had a ton of injuries in this game. Trey Hendrickson went down in this game. Mike Hilton, their corner, went down in this game. Larry Joby went down, and it has been confirmed he's done for the year. Bengals placed him on season-ending IR with a foot injury. How is that going to affect them? Um, moving on from that game, though, we did see the other Saturday night game was the New England Patriots and Buffalo Bills. Buffalo came out and demolished the Patriots 47-17. to It was the first time we'd ever seen a football team not punt or have to kick a field goal. The Bills scored a touchdown on every drive other than the final drive of the game where they were just taking knees to waste time, but... Josh Allen was, I mean, he was dominant. I said if the Bills wanted to win this game, Josh Allen was going to have to dominate, and he did just that. He went 21-25 for 308 yards passing and five touchdowns, and he also chipped in 66 rushing yards on only six carries. New England had absolutely no answer for him. New England's defense was just, it was a step slow all night. They did not play contain on Allen at all. Dante Hightower, you know, he's a good linebacker. He's had a good career, but it's time for him to go. He's been exposed as way too slow in today's NFL. I did put out this take, though, and I wanted to, you know, expand on it a little bit. Is it time for New England to consider moving on from Bill Belichick? Now, I'm not saying that New England's going to be able to find another Belichick right away, but what I am saying is Belichick's getting up there in years. Belichick's been around for quite some time. We've also now got a large enough sample size of Bill Belichick without Tom Brady. Bill Belichick coached the Cleveland Browns for five seasons back in the 90s. He's also now completed his second season post-Brady, and there have been a couple years without Brady in between there as well. And so what I went ahead and did is I compiled, well, what's Belichick's record you know, with and without Brady. And Belichick has had eight seasons where Tom Brady has not been on his roster. He's had nine seasons without Brady as his starting quarterback, but I do not count the season 2000 against Bill Belichick because Brady was on the roster. That was Brady's rookie year, and Brady just wasn't good enough to start that year. So I'm not going to hold that against Bill because I feel like if you hold that against Bill, then you also have to hold it against Brady to a certain extent. But specifically looking at the seasons that Bill Belichick has been a head coach and Tom Brady was not on his roster, Bill Belichick in eight seasons where that is the case only has three seasons with a winning record and has only made the playoff in two of those eight seasons. That's, I mean, 
with any other coach in the NFL, that would be an automatic see you later. And I know people are going to tell me, well, that Cleveland Browns team was a hot mess in the 90s. You know, Art Modell was a terrible owner. But Belichick also, when you are the type of coach that Belichick is, when you are not well-liked in the media, when you're not really a player's coach, you're kind of abrasive, you got to win. And everybody was willing to put up with it when it was the Brady-Belichick dynasty and they were winning. Now they're not winning. I mean, 10-7 and this year making the playoffs with the rookie quarterback sounds great on paper, but they just imploded. And Belichick is supposed to be a defensive coach. And that defense to me, is the bigger issue right now. So I'm not saying that New England will move on from Belichick, but I do think that there are going to be conversations, especially as long as Brady and the Bucks keep winning and advancing in the playoffs, there's going to be conversations about when is it time to move on from Belichick. Um, really, the other thing I noticed with this game is the Bills did whatever they wanted at the line of scrimmage. I really thought New England's offensive line would hold up a little better, but the Buffalo Bills defensive line absolutely dominated this game. New England could get absolutely nothing going in the running game. And I know you see a 47-17 game and you think Mac Jones must have played absolutely terrible. Mac Jones didn't play terrible. The issue is... New England's defense could not stop anything, and so Mac Jones just had to start airing it out because they were down by so much, and that's not conducive to success for a rookie quarterback. So I think New England's got a lot of questions to answer in the offseason because not only do they need to get more speed on defense, they still need more playmakers. That you know, New England spent a ton of money in the offseason to go get Matt Judon, to go get Jalen Mills. They brought in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith at the tight end position, and they brought in a couple wide receivers in Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. And yeah, you went from seven and nine to 10 and seven, but you got absolutely demolished. And there was still no, you know, change in speed. Last year, we talked about how slow New England was and they were that slow again. If I'm a Bills fan, I'm feeling absolutely great. If Josh Allen can do that for the next three games, the Buffalo Bills are legit Super Bowl contenders. My only issue is the Bills needed to take the regular season more seriously because part of why the Bills were so successful is it's really hard to come into Buffalo in a playoff game. With that weather, with that atmosphere, the Bills needed more home games in Buffalo, and they squandered that. Of course, they're going to have to go to Kansas City now. Be interesting to see what they could look like there. But moving on from that game, we get to the Sunday slate, and of course, Sunday started with that Buccaneers-Eagles game. The Bucks picked up the win 31 to 15, and this one was over by halftime. I know the score looks closer, you know, looks like maybe it was a little bit of a competition. It was not. This was an absolute manhandling by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, the Eagles, they just, again, line of scrimmage, you know, football is a simple game. It's one in the trenches. And what we saw a common theme this weekend was the teams who lost were the teams who could not protect their quarterback. Tampa Bay got a ton of pressure on Jalen Hurts. Hertz looked flustered all game. He was bailing on the pocket way too quickly. You know, I I don't really think that the Eagles did a ton to help Hertz. I'm thinking primarily draft with Howie Roseman. I know I, I heard a take that Howie Roseman, you know, the GM of the Eagles, should be up for executive of the year because, look, he, you know, he stuck to his guns. He took Jalen Hurts in the second round, and they made the playoffs. But if you look at some of the other decisions Howie Roseman has made, and I'm thinking specifically the wide receiver position, this Eagles football team could be way better than it is. You just think about, you know, last year they took Jalen Rager in the first round, the receiver at a TCU. And if you don't take him in the first round and you take the guy who went out pick later, Justin Jefferson, and you have Justin Jefferson and Devontae Smith, 
That, that offense looks way different. You think about some other picks they've wasted. They took J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a receiver out of Stanford, in the first round a couple of years ago. That's been a complete disaster. They took Andre Dillard, the tackle out of Washington State, in the first round. He has never amounted to anything. Howie Roseman's not drafted really well. And when you couple not drafting really well with a aging roster and a young, inexperienced starter, you get the kind of results that the Eagles got this past Sunday. Looking at the Bucks. I am a little bit concerned about can they keep it going. They suffered a lot of injuries in this game. They've suffered a lot of injuries this year. Tristan Wirfs, their starting right tackle. Of course, he was a pro bowler last year as a rookie out of Iowa. He goes down in this game. It's been reported he's in a walking boot currently and is going to be a game-time decision for this next Sunday's game. Um, That is going to hurt them exponentially, especially going against the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, you've got Aaron Donald. You've got Leonard Floyd. You've got Von Miller. You've got Greg Gaines. Not having Tristan Wirfs, a Pro Bowl right tackle, would hurt them. And his replacement, his backup, Scott Wells, got hurt in this game. Now, Wells was able to keep playing, but it sounds like it was iffy on if Wells was really going to be able to keep playing. So it'll be interesting to see what how does that injury affect him. Their starting center, Ryan Jensen, he got hurt. He was able to come back, but it sounds like that injury is... You know, something to keep an eye on, at least. Obviously, receiver Chris Godwin's out for the year. But we talked about all the injuries the Buccaneers offense has, and it still did not stop them. Guys like Tyler Johnson stepped up. Scotty Miller looked good in this game. Obviously, Mike Evans, he did his thing with the nine receptions. And that running game looked good still. I mean, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that offense, it just it seems like no matter who goes down, Tom Brady... Is As long as Brady's there, they're going to be able to keep doing their thing. I was surprised by one thing. I really thought the Philadelphia Eagles would be able to run the football better than they did. I talked about how the Eagles had the number one rushing attack in football coming into this game. The Eagles could not run the football at all. Jalen Hurts led the entire Eagles team in rushing yards with only 39 rushing yards. And that really, to me, is what did the Eagles in. When you can't run the football and you are putting it solely on the arm of Jalen Hurts, somebody we know is already kind of a questionable passer to begin with, Eagles stood no chance at that point. Moving on from that game, though, we see the Dallas Cowboys do what the Dallas Cowboys do best, and that is lose playoff games. The Cowboys played the 49ers and lost 23-17. to And to me, this one was pretty simple. The Cowboys lost for several reasons, but the biggest one to me was the Cowboys got outcoached. Kyle Shanahan came in with a smart and effective game plan. He, you know, the 49ers, they ran for 169 yards as a team on the Cowboys. And we talked about it in the preview show, previewing this matchup. We talked about how the Cowboys have a bad run defense and the 49ers are an innovative rushing attack. And it, it just, it rained true in this game. The 49ers did whatever they wanted running the football, and they mixed it up, too. It wasn't the same thing. It wasn't just Elijah Mitchell. They used Debo Samuel out of the backfield as well and had success with it. And the Cowboys just could not adjust. The Cowboys also couldn't get out of their own way, though. The Cowboys had 14 penalties as a team for 89 yards. You know, that you're not going to win playoff games when you're committing 14 penalties for 89 yards. You know, we saw Randy Gregory commit... Was it three offsides penalties, including two that gave up first downs? Just silly penalties like that. You know, the last play of the game is going to be talked about, and it's going to be talked about for a while. Mike McCarthy came out and said that he felt his team made the right decision. It was the right call, and there should have been no issue with getting the ball snapped and set so they could run another play. 
I completely disagree with Mike McCarthy there. For those of you who didn't get to see the final play, essentially what happened was the Cowboys had 14 seconds left and no timeouts, and they ran basically a QB run up the middle, and Prescott slid down, and then they tried to get the ball set, but instead of handing the ball straight to the official so he could set it, because per NFL rules, the official has to touch the ball and be the one to set it before it can be snapped, Prescott hands it straight to his center, Tyler Biotish, and Biotish tries to set the football himself. Of course, that causes issues. Clock runs out. Cowboys don't get another snap off. That should have never happened. The Cowboys were in opponent territory at that point. The Cowboys have several great receiving weapons, whether it be Amari Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Cedric Wilson, Dalton Schultz. Why not take two shots at the end zone? You have, with 14 seconds left, two shots at the end zone at that point. Why not take two shots at the end zone? I did not understand that play call. If you felt like you wanted to get closer, because that was the other thing Mike McCarthy said. He said, you know, did you want us to run a Hail Mary situation from that point, or did you want us to get to the 25 and be able to run five vertical? I understand that you may feel comfortable throwing the pass to the end zone from the 25. So if you wanted to get closer to the end zone, why not run an out route where essentially you're just dumping it off to a running back or the tight end in the flat and having them get out of bounds immediately. I didn't understand that one at all. To me, that's on the Cowboys because you don't put the game in somebody else's hands. You don't put the game in the hands of the refs and the refs didn't do anything wrong there. They've got to set the football. It, to me, it made no sense there. I also, though, I want to talk about the fact that everybody is hating on Mike McCarthy specifically for that call. Everybody is calling for Mike McCarthy to be fired for that call specifically. And I have to disagree there because, for one, Mike McCarthy is not the play caller. Kellen Moore is the offensive play caller for the Dallas Cowboys. So Kellen Moore should shoulder some blame there. And if the Cowboys knew that was the play they wanted to execute, that tells me they had discussed this and they had talked about it. And if that is the case, then this also needs to fall. Some of the blame needs to fall on Dak Prescott at the quarterback position because Dak needed to know timing and he needed to know what needed to transpire before they got that ball set again. So he should not have gone that far. Dak went way too far downfield for that play to ever work. I've heard some analysts talk about, you know, I think it was Drew Brees on the Sunday night game in particular. He had a really good take on this. He said that type of play, they were always told that in order for a play like that to work, you needed at least 18 seconds left on the play clock. It just didn't work out, obviously, for Dallas. Losing that way, though, is going to bring up a lot of questions because you looked really bad doing it. For San Francisco, they did everything to try and lose this game. You know, whether it was the QB sneak that would have sealed the game and they didn't get set, and so there was a pre-snap penalty there, and then they had to punt the football away after that, or it was Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, the 49ers can win with Garoppolo, so did they waste a pick on Trey Lance? And I'm here to tell you they didn't waste a pick on Trey Lance because Jimmy Garoppolo is just, he is a game manager. He Jimmy Garoppolo reminds me a lot of a guy like Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco was never elite, but he was good enough to take a good football team and win a Super Bowl. I think the 49ers can contend for a Super Bowl with this current roster with Jimmy G at quarterback because they've got a really good defense. They've got an elite rushing attack. But the issue is, is Garoppolo has to not make mistakes. And down the stretch, he made a lot of mistakes. Almost all of the throws he missed in this game, he missed high, including the late interception that got, gave the Cowboys new life. You know, Garoppolo's got to figure that out because you, you're not going to win in Green Bay in playoff football, giving a guy like Aaron Rodgers extra chances. You got away with it with Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. Cannot do that. 
against the Green Bay Packers next week. 49ers health is going to be an issue next week as well. Nick Bosa went out in this game with a concussion. There seems to be some early optimism that he may be able to get back and play next week. It'll be interesting to see there. And then also their all-pro linebacker, Fred Warner, he went out with an ankle injury. Um, something to keep an eye on there because without those two, that defense looks drastically different. And that defense played really well against that Cowboy offensive line. That was probably one of my biggest surprises. I really thought the Cowboys had an offensive line that could compete. You know, you have Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Lyle Kyle, Lyle Collins. I was really surprised to see how much the Dallas Cowboy offensive line struggled. Moving on from that game though, let's take a look at that Chiefs and Steelers game. That was of course your Sunday night game. No real surprise there. The Chiefs dominate to a 42-21 victory. I will say I was shocked that the Steelers were in this as long as they were. Steelers get the first touchdown off that TJ Watt defensive score. And really, this was a game up until right before halftime. And then as soon as the Chiefs took that 21-7 lead, it was just all over. The Steelers defense, this is probably the poorest defensive unit the Steelers have ran out there in quite some time. And I think it's going to be an issue again next year because guys like Joe Hayden, they have the option to leave after, you know, in the off season here, you know, yeah, you bring TJ Watt back, you bring Cam Hayward back, but Alex Highsmith, you know, former middle round pick out of Charlotte, he's got to take a step forward as a pass rusher for them. And they've got to find some run defense help. I mean, a lot of answers there in Pittsburgh. Obviously, the offensive line was another factor. I will say I was surprised by the game plan from the Steelers. You know, they came out, and for most of the game, Big Ben was getting rid of the football in under two seconds. You know, Big Ben, he had the fastest, you know, from snap to time of pass in the NFL this season. From the time Big Ben took the snap till the time he threw the pass, there was about 2.2 seconds in between there all season. That was by far the fastest in the NFL. He was even faster in this game, though. He was under two seconds. And there's no opportunity. When you're getting rid of the football that quickly, there's no opportunity for any route to develop. And the Chiefs just had more team speed on defense. And they were... I mean, they were tackling the receivers as soon as they caught the football. Didn't help Deontay Johnson had several key drops. But I just didn't understand that play calling, that kind of timid play calling from the Steelers. You know, I get that your offensive line is a disaster. I get Trey Turner played probably the worst guard that I've ever... I mean, he his play at right guard this season was atrocious. You know, we've talked about their tackles and how bad they are. I know they were playing a couple backups last night. And so I'm sure their idea was let's get the football out of Ben's hands quickly to avoid, you know, sacks and potential strip sacks. I understand that. But at some point, you got to take shots. Juju was healthy. He played in this game. You had Deontay, Deontay Johnson. You had Claypool. You had James Washington. You had all these weapons. You got to use them. And they did towards the end of the game. And it looked a lot better. They actually scored some points. And I know the Chiefs probably took their foot off the gas a little bit at that point because they're thinking, what's the point of risking getting hurt? But why not? If you're gonna if you're gonna lose, and that was the thing, nobody had the Steelers winning this game. But if you're gonna lose, at least go out swinging and go out trying. Don't go out with this timid play calling that never really gives you a real chance to win. For Patrick Mahomes, this was an absolute domination of a football game. He looked absolutely amazing. He had over 400 yards passing through three quarters. I mean, that was it was absurd what he was doing. He finished the day just. On fire, he went for 404 yards, five touchdowns, 30 of 39 passing. Travis Kelsey had a day. Tyreek Hill had a day. Really, my biggest takeaway, though, was the Chiefs running game showed up, too. You know, we've talked about how the Steelers had the worst rating 
you know, worst rushing defense in the NFL, and it showed Jarek McKinnon, their backup, former Minnesota Viking and San Francisco 49er. He had a day as well. Chiefs offense looks like it's going to be tough. Looks like it's going to be real tough, but they got a tough matchup coming in because the Buffalo Bills have the number one ranked defense and the number one scoring defense in the NFL. So it's going to be strength on strength next week between the Bills and Chiefs, but the Chiefs get the win. And then the one we just watched, the one that just completed, the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals really kind of continued the theme of the weekend, and that was blowouts. The Rams get the win over the Cardinals 34-11, to and... You know, I don't want this to be too big of a theme, but I do have to ask the question, is Cliff Kingsbury on the hot seat? He got completely outcoached in this game. His game plan, his offensive game plan made zero sense to me. You have a guy like James Conner who put up over 15 touchdowns in the regular season, and you don't want to give him the football, you know, with any real meaning. You don't want to consistently give him the football until you're already down 21 to zero. That made absolutely no sense to me. They just wanted to keep dropping back and passing, which to me made no sense because, for one, you saw that your quarterback, Kyler Murray, was holding the football way too long. And then, two, you saw that your offensive line could not pass protect. So why not do some running? You know, Why not call just any running play at that point? It made no sense to me. Kyler, it looked like the moment was too big for Kyler Murray. You know, he really struggled in this game. Like I said, held on to the football way too long. But even statistically, this was just a Kyler Murray we've not seen in quite some time. He ends the day 19-34 for only 137 passing yards and two interceptions. And the Rams did exactly what we said they were going to need to do. They got after Kyler Murray. Their defensive line had its way. You know, and I talk about, you know, is it time to move on from Kingsbury? To me, if you're going to move on from Cliff Kingsbury, I think you also have to move on from your GM, Steve Keim, at this point. Steve Keim has been the Cardinals' GM since January of 2013. He's had several drafts, and in most of those drafts, he is absolutely whiffed on his first-round pick. I want to list those first-round picks for you. In 2013, they had the seventh overall pick, and they took guard Jonathan Cooper out of Ohio State. I will tell you that was not a good pick. The next year, 2014, they get picked 27. They take Dayon Buchanan, the safety slash linebacker out of Washington State. That was a meh pick. He was all right. I mean, you definitely could have done better in the first round than him, but I won't call it a complete whiff. Then in 2015, they get tackled DJ Humphreys out of Florida. He is their left tackle still today, and he got absolutely obliterated tonight so take that for what you will in 2016 they take robert kimdichi the defensive tackle out of ole miss he completely bust he had a lot of off the field issues as well so that one was already a questionable pick at the time 2017 hassan reddick he went got a nice big contract this past off season so you can say he did well just not entirely for the Cardinals. Josh Rosen is well-documented. They took him 10th overall in 2018. We don't need to address that. That was a complete and utter disaster. And they recognized it. They took Kyler Murray number one overall. But really where I struggle with the Cardinals is their last two first-round draft picks. In 2020, they took Isaiah Simmons, number eight overall, the linebacker out of Clemson. And then this past year, at number 16 overall, they take Zayvon Collins, the linebacker out of Tulsa. And this is why I struggle with those two picks. Because tonight, the Los Angeles Rams ran the football down the Arizona Cardinals' throat. Now, how do you, in the last two drafts, draft two linebackers in the first round and you can't stop the run to save your life? And I've got a bigger issue with the fact that those two linebackers, Isaiah Simmons is finally starting again, but Zayvon Collins is on the bench. I mean, to me, 
they don't draft well. And you can say, well, they were able to trade for DeAndre Hopkins and they fleeced the Texans on that trade. That's great, but it got them nowhere. D-Hop wasn't available for this game, and I'm not really sure even if DeAndre Hopkins was available that it would have made any difference in this game. They, I mean, I think the Cardinals need to think about, you know, they were real quick to move on from Josh Rosen, to move on from their previous head coach. I just, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is the answer, and I think if you move on from Kingsbury, you need to move on from Kime. For the Rams, I will say they surprised me. I had the Cardinals winning this game to begin with. You know, in our preview show, I said, you know, I picked the Cardinals to win, and the Rams really came out, and they just dominated. Their offense looked great. Their running attack, you know, Cam Akers being healthy, he showed up and played a huge factor in this game. Matt Stafford was smart with the football. He didn't commit turnovers. And what was surprising is Cooper Cup didn't really have a massive game. You know, he played well. He led the team in receiving. He had five catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. But it wasn't just the Cooper Cup show. Odell Beckham Jr. had a couple of real nice plays. You know, he was going against a rookie sixth-round quarter, Marco Wilson out of Florida. But Odell did what Odell needed to do to help the team win. I do think the Rams have a couple things they need to clean up. I think there was some post-snap penalties that they need to clean up. Um, you know, I know there's some chippiness when you're playing a divisional rival, but you're going to have to keep your cool a lot better next week because you're playing Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You can't give them those extra yardage or else you are going to lose the game. But I will say this is the one game, and I, I am critical of Sean McVay. I don't think Sean McVay is this boy genius that everyone thinks he is. I would much rather have Kyle Shanahan than Sean McVay as my coach. But this is the one game where I think Sean McVay absolutely outcoached Cliff Kingsbury, and it showed today. So that is the review show of all those matchups. Of course, Wednesday, we will have Hot Take Wednesday. Got a good one in store for you guys this Wednesday. And then Friday is going to be the preview. That is where we will preview these divisional round matchups, and we'll go from there. So like I always tell you guys, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll see you later. Have a good one.